Good morning, everyone, and welcome to this online worship service hosted by myself and Victoria Christian Reformed Church. Uh, wherever you are tuning in from today, I pray that the risen Christ comes alongside of you and fills you with his peace. Like last week, there'll be some opportunity for participation in this service. There'll be some parts where I'm going to invite you to read along with me, and the slide will come up on your screen. You'll also have opportunity to sing. I encourage you to do so. Worship is not something we're meant to consume, uh, but something that we are invited into. And inv I invite you to worship with me this morning. Please join me in this uh, call to worship. In Christ, the God of heaven has made his home on earth. Quite Christ dwells among us and is one with us. Highest of all creation, he lives among the least. He journeys with the rejected and welcomes the weary. Come now, all who thirst, and drink the water of life. Come now, all who hunger, and be filled with good things. Come now, all who seek, and be warmed by the fire of love. Receive God's greeting for you this morning. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you today. Amen. Let's sing together.
In the book of Isaiah, God says this to his wayward people. He says, In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. Trusting in God's graciousness and desire to give us rest through repentance, let's confess our sins together using the words in this prayer. Please join me. Gracious God, our sins are too heavy to carry too real to hide, and too deep to undo. Forgive what our lips tremble to name, what our hearts can no longer bear, and what has become for us a consuming fire of judgment. Set us free from a past that we cannot change. Open us to a future in which we can be changed, and grant us grace to grow more and more in your likeness and image, through Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Amen. Hear again these words from Isaiah 30. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. And just a few uh, verses later, um, Isaiah says this, and I just love these words, and I thought I'd share them with you. O people of Zion, who live in Jerusalem, you will weep no more. How gracious he will be when you cry for help, as soon as he hears, he will answer you. Although, although the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, your teachers will be hidden no more. In your eyes and with your own eyes, you will see them. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. My brothers and sisters in Christ, the Lord restores and heals those who call upon his name. He sent his only son, and in, and in his name there is forgiveness of sin and new direction. He is our savior, and he is the good teacher who leads us into life. Together, let's live in his forgiveness. And let's pray together. Father, today we thank you for the new life, the new direction, and the forgiveness of sins that we have in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you would minister this truth to our hearts. Touch us deep down with the truth of the gospel. And restore us, Lord, um, to rest, knowing that we are deeply loved, deeply known, and that we are a part of your kingdom as your sons and daughters. And Lord, we think about our mission in the world in this uh, strange time in which we live. And we ask, uh, Holy Spirit, that you fill us with power to, um, to be good neighbors, to be people who are um, just aware of what's going on and, and are filled with wisdom to know how to live in this moment. We think especially of the people who are making decisions on our behalf. Um, our premier here in... Um, in, uh, in British Columbia, Justin Trudeau in, in Ottawa, and also Dr. Henry and, and all the other health officials who are 
who are trying to lead us along the right path. We pray, Lord, that we would humbly accept their leadership and that you would give them wisdom for this, this task at this time. And we pray, Lord, that the virus would be pushed back. We're thankful for the, uh, um, what's been happening on Vancouver Island, that, um, that there aren't very many cases and that there aren't very, very many new cases. We pray, Lord, that that would continue. And we pray that for the rest of the world as well, especially the places that are being hit the hardest. And Lord, we don't know when we will be able to worship together here in this sanctuary, uh, but we pray that uh, that there would, you know, that day would be coming soon when we can gather in some sort of way to just um, encourage one another and uh, and support one another in this time. I pray that you'd give the leadership of our church wisdom to know how to navigate this, Lord, and uh, that you'd help us put together a plan that that fits who we are and fits what you've called us to do. Um, so bless, bless the elders and the deacons at this time, we pray. And I'm thinking, Lord, of all the people in our church, um, many of whom are alone in their living rooms or, or in their houses today, I pray that you be with them, Lord, and that they'd experience your fellowship um, in their homes. Fill them, with your, fill them with your joy and your peace today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, in the Christian calendar, we're, um, we're getting pretty close to Ascension Day and Pentecost. And this year, Brittany and I wanted to uh, take some time to, to celebrate those occasions and really pull out the significance of them for, for our life and our ministry in the world. Um, next week, Brittany will, talk, uh, Brittany will be uh, addressing you and uh, preaching on the Ascension of Christ and, and its meaning. And uh, the week after that, I'll be, uh, we'll be celebrating Pentecost together um, on YouTube, of course, most likely. Uh, so in order to prepare us for those, uh, those two monumental moments in the Christian story, I thought I'd uh, uh, take today to just preach on the story that comes before the Ascension. Um, Jesus um, appears to his disciples before he ascends into heaven. And uh, there he teaches them and he reveals himself uh, to them so that they might know the mission uh, that, they, that, that God is calling them to. So we'll be reading from Luke chapter 24 today, beginning at verse 36. Hear the word of the Lord. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. 
Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written, The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in, my, in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Dear friends of Jesus Christ, in Luke's gospel, uh, the opening scene is a temple scene. In that scene, um, Zechariah, the priest, is he's in the temple and he's offering sacrifices. And he's also praying for the deliverance of Israel. And then here at the end of, of the gospel, right, right at the very end, we see the disciples returning to the temple to worship and to praise God. And I think Luke does this on purpose, eh? He, he begins his gospel in the temple, and he ends his gospel in the temple, and there's, uh, he does that on purpose, um, and he's showing us something in that. And what he's showing us is that Zechariah's prayer has been answered. The prayer for deliverance has been answered through the death and resurrection of Jesus the Christ. That's the story. That's the message of Luke's gospel. And bearing witness to this story through worship, through word and deed, this is the content of the disciples' mission in the world, of their mission back then and of our mission today. The first thing that struck me as I was studying this, this text is that is that Jesus really wants his disciples to know that he is alive. Like, really alive. Not just a ghost or a spirit, but flesh and blood raised from the dead, alive again. This is a, a stretch for the disciples to understand at first. Even though Jesus had told, has told them to expect resurrection, they still do not expect resurrection. And I mean, who would, right? I mean, these disciples, they're, they're down-to-earth fishermen. They know what happens when people die. They know that people do not raise again from the dead. This does not happen. There are two irrefutable truths in life. That is death and taxes. Taxes never go down. Dead people never rise again from the dead. And they couldn't believe the reports they were hearing from the people in their community who said that they had saw Jesus alive. What do you mean you saw him? They were asking themselves. How, how can this be? But while they were talking about all this, Jesus walked into their gathering. Peace be with you, he said. Look at me. Touch me. See my hands. See my feet. See that, see that it is me, that I am alive. Do ghosts have flesh and bone? The disciples were initially terrified when they saw Jesus, but the, the gasp of terror slowly turned into the joyful gasp 
of amazed disbelief. You know what that's like, right? When you can't believe what your eyes are seeing, when you're witnessing the impossible made possible. The disciples, they, they can't believe their eyes, but they know, that, they know that what they're seeing is the risen Lord there in their midst. After allowing his disciples to touch his hands and feet, Jesus asked them for something to eat. Why does he do this? Well, for starters, I think this is just another way that Jesus is showing, showing them that he is a flesh and blood human being. Ghosts and spirits do not eat fish. They cannot digest food. But there's another reason, I think, that Jesus asked for food, and that is the second thing that struck me about this scene. You see, food in, the ancient, in ancient Israel was, was not simply about sustenance. It was about fellowship, and, and to break bread with someone was to share life with someone. It was an expression uh, of peace in the relationship, of, of a belonging to one another. Just a few days earlier, Jesus' disciples had all but abandoned him. Not one of them stuck with Jesus when Jesus was arrested. I mean, if there was ever an occasion for, for Jesus to really give it to his disciples, to, to ja chastise them, to, to make them feel really small, you'd think now would be the time. This would be a good time to pull out the old, I told you so, right? Why didn't you listen to me? Didn't I tell you that all these, all these things needed to happen? Jesus could really make his disciples, uh, he could really belittle them at this time. But that's not the Jesus way. Jesus doesn't shame them. Instead, he speaks peace. Peace be with you, my brothers. He doesn't shun them. Instead, he eats with them. That expression of, of, of belonging to one another, of fellowship. He doesn't chastise them in their doubts. Instead, he invites them to, to touch and to see. And then he opens up the scriptures to explain again how everything that has been happening in the Old Testament, the prophets, the Psalms, uh, the stories, that it's all pointing to this, this moment in this time and, and the death and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus is alive and, and the disciples are forgiven. Their journey of repentance has begun, and, and it's important that the disciples experience this themselves because once they are clothed with power from on high, once the Spirit comes, it will be their job to invite others on this journey of repentance and forgiveness in Christ as well. So instead of belittling his disciples, Jesus equips them. He renews their mind by taking them through the scriptures. And I'm, I'm thinking now, wouldn't it, wouldn't, it, wouldn't it have been something to have been a fly on the wall in that Bible study? To have Jesus go through the Old Testament and uh, explain everything in the light of his death and resurrection. You know, because it, it would be something to hear that Bible study, because it's not like the Old Testament. It's not like there are any proof texts that Jesus goes to 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 describe why it was necessary for the Messiah to, to suffer and to rise again. I mean, there are hints in Isaiah that, that God's servant will suffer for, for, the, for you know, uh, it says by his wounds, you know, we are healed in Isaiah uh, 50, 53. But though the particulars are opaque, 
I think the message of the Old Testament is clear, and, and this is what Jesus draws out. The message being that, that God is a deliverer. The message being that, that God has a passion to save and a, and a hatred and, uh, of, of that which breaks covenant and, and tears apart his good creation. I mean, this, this comes out clear all throughout the Old Testament. We see it right away in the beginning. As Adam and Eve are being expelled from the garden, God gives this promise to Eve. He says, he says to her that one of your offspring is going to crush the serpent's head. You know, uh, his heel will be bruised, but, but he will destroy evil entirely. And then when God calls out Abraham early on in the story, God says to Abraham, uh, I will bless you. And I will make you a blessing in the world. Israel was called out uh, by God to be a light to the world. God's relationship with Israel was never just about Israel. She was set apart to, to bear witness to God's ways publicly and to be a, an instrument of God's mission to restore and reclaim the world. Isaiah makes this clear in a few places. In Isaiah um, 40, uh, yeah, 42, we read, I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. And in, in Isaiah 49, we read, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Jesus is highlighting this theme. He's pulling out God's passion to save that's clear all throughout the Old Testament. And it's all coming together. He's, he's making the case that it's all come together in the death and resurrection of Christ. I mean, the, the, the cross is the place where God's passion to save and God's hatred to sin, it all comes together. In love, Jesus willingly took on the sin of the whole world. He bore the wages of humanity's sin in his flesh. But then, defying death's power, God raised Jesus from the dead. Paul refers to the resurrected Jesus as, as the first fruits of the new creation, which means that he is the beginning of this restored world, this beginning of this, this new world, in a world that... We've been living in this world, in a world that has been long been living in winter, held down by the curse of sin, death, and the devil. Jesus' resurrection, it, it breaks the curse. It's the first signs of spring, the first fruits of God's new world. And this world will be characterized by, by shalom. No longer will it be characterized by death or mourning or crying or pain. God's passion to save is realized in the suffering, the suffering death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. And Jesus explains all this to his disciples. He, he enables them to understand it, not simply so that they could repent and have their own minds re renewed, but so that they could participate in God's global mission. You are witnesses of these things, Jesus says to his disciples. You've seen what God has done in me. Now 
This world-changing news needs to be shared so that others can come to know me and find life in my name. Proclaiming God's salvation in Christ through death and resurrection, this is the content of the disciples' message and witness in the world. And the application of that message is to invite people to repent, to believe, and to experience forgiveness in Christ's name. Jesus is the message. Repentance and forgiveness is the application of the message. We see this message and application at work in Acts 2, when the Spirit is poured out on the church. On that morning, Peter rises up to address the crowds. He tells them the story. He preaches Christ, crucified, raised from the dead, ascended into heaven. What's the application? Repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe and be baptized, be washed clean, experience Christ's forgiveness. And the crowds, we were told, were were cut to the heart after hearing the message. And so Peter tells them, come into the story. Join the mission. Be a part of Christ. Experience his forgiveness. Repentance. Repentance is a turning. It's a turning away from darkness and stepping out into God's glorious light. It's a turn away from the self and and the kingdom that you've been building in service of self, and it's a stepping towards Jesus and allowing him to to rebuild you and, and to give you a place in his kingdom. Repentance it starts in the mind. It's, it's, it's the moment of realization or, or clarity sparked in you by the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden you see clearly that, that you've been living in the long winter of sin and death and, and not in the spring. You see your foolishness for what it, what it is and you no longer try to justify yourself. You see your sin for what it is and you no longer downplay the cost or rationalize your behavior. And you humbly turn to Christ. And Jesus lifts you up. He's there to wash you clean. To give you forgiveness. New life in his name. Welcome you into his kingdom. Brittany and I just finished reading the the Voyage of the Dawn Treader um, to our children. Um, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader was written by C.S. Lewis. It's it's one of the books in the, um, the series... The Chronicles of Narnia series. Uh, Eustace Scrub is introduced in uh, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, and he's a real brat of a boy, uh, selfish, cowardly, a real whiner. When Reepicheep the mouse beats Eustace up, you know, when you're reading it, you're like, oh, finally that that kid's getting what he deserves. At one point in the story, Eustace, or the, the boat, the, the Dawn Treader, arrives at this mysterious island, and they're exploring the island, and um, Eustace finds this dragon's den, and he walks into it, and it's filled with treasure. And he thinks, you know, he greedily comes up with a plan to, you know, all this treasure is mine. So he puts a, a gold bracelet on his leg, and, and then he falls asleep in the dragon's den. Uh, when he wakes up, uh, he realizes, however, that, that he himself has become a dragon. Uh, at first, he's, he's actually quite happy about this because now he's the biggest 
and the strongest creature around, and maybe he can use his, uh, his power to bully others. But pretty quickly he realizes that, that being a dragon is no fun at all, and he starts to feel lonely. Um, he feels cut off from his friends and the world. And that bracelet that he's put around his leg, it's, it's starting to pinch and to hurt. So one night, you know, Eustace, he's, he's, he's feeling worse and worse. Um, things are not getting better. And one night, Aslan comes to him, Aslan the lion, and he invites Eustace and he, he, to, to follow him. And he leads Eustace to this fresh, clear pool of water. Eustace looks at the fresh water and he thinks that, that it will ease the pain in his leg. But Aslan has deeper healing in mind. He tells Eustace to undress. Eustace tries to scratch off the dragon skin, uh, but it's no use. You're going to have to let me do it, Aslan says. And here's how useless, uh, Eustace describes what happened next. I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate now. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. You know, if you've ever picked the scab off a sore, it hurts like billy-o, but it is such fun to see it coming away. Well, he, he peeled that beastly stuff right off, and there I was, uh, and there was I, as smooth and soft as a peeled switch and smaller than I ever, had ever been. Then he caught hold of me. I didn't like that much, for I was very tender underneath, now that I had, I had no skin on, and he threw me into the water. It smarted like anything, but only for a moment. After that, it became perfectly delicious, and as soon as I had started swimming and splashing, I found that all the pain had gone from my arm, and then I saw why I had turned into a boy again. I love this picture. Um, it chokes me up every time I read it. It's just this picture of, of repentance and renewal, of of the transformation that comes to us as we, are, uh, as, we, as we come into this relationship with Christ. This is the work of Christ in the world. As the message about him is shared, as people come to know about the salvation that, um, that is found in him, it starts this journey of repentance and renewal and forgiveness. You know, we try to scratch off the skin ourselves, but we, we don't go deep enough. We don't go till it hurts. But, but he, he, he reaches, reaches down into us to touch our heart, to, to transform us from the inside out. And he throws us into the, the waters of baptism, and we experience the forgiveness of sins, and, and, and we find that, you know, the dragon is gone. And that the boy or the girl has emerged. This is what Jesus is doing in the world. And this is what he's doing through his spirit-empowered church. As the message of salvation goes out, people are cut to the heart. And they, they come into this relationship with Christ. And Jesus makes them new and whole again. And it just strikes me that 
that as, as Christ's community, we need to remain focused and, and, and have our minds and hearts set upon this mission. You know, it's important that we do, um, you know, social justice initiatives and, and care for the widow and the poor. You know, we see that in Acts, that that is, that is a central thing that the church needs to be doing. But at the heart, at the heart of our mission in the world is, is to see Christ transform people, to, to renew them from the inside out, to give them forgiveness. And man, there's just, there's nothing more important and more beautiful than that. Brittany and I have had the opportunity on a number of occasions to, to be with people as they, they take that step out of darkness and into Christ's light. As the dragon is, is, is pushed down, as the old person is pushed down and the new is, is coming out into the light, it's, it's just so beautiful. And I guess for those of you who are watching today, maybe, maybe you feel outside of this whole process of, of transformation in Christ. I just want you to know that, that God's passion to save is for you as well. That Christ died and was raised for you as well. Come into the light. Come to him and, and let him take, take the layers off so that you can be his child again, restored in his image. Amen. Let's respond together um, by praying the Lord's Prayer. Please join me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, Lord, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, and the power and the glory, forever. Amen.
To conclude the service, let's speak aloud our faith um, using Articles 23 and 25 of Our World Belongs to God. Remembering the promise to reconcile the world to himself, God joined our humanity in Jesus Christ, the eternal word made flesh. He is the long-awaited Messiah, one with us and one with God, fully human and fully divine, conceived by the Holy Spirit, and born of the Virgin Mary. 
Standing in our place, Jesus suffered during his years on earth, especially in the tortures of the cross. He carried God's judgment on our sin. His sacrifice removed our guilt. God raised him from the dead. He walked out of the grave, conqueror of sin and death, Lord of life. We are set right with God, given new life, and called to walk with him in freedom from sin's dominion. In Christ, we are invited on this journey of transformation, of repentance and renewal, and experiencing the forgiveness of sins. May you know uh, the fullness of life in Christ this week, and may you go in the power of God's blessing for you today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon, upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. And all God's people together said, Amen.
bless you.